He went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. A large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said, Why then did Moses command wives to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce her. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this commandment, only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been till from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by marriage. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. to what our Lord has to say to us. Even when our Lord has to say to us things that might have sounded a little strange. So let me begin by acknowledging that these words of Jesus that Elizabeth just read may be uncomfortable for a few of us. It may be uncomfortable for a few women specifically. There are those here who may feel uncomfortable because of how divorce has been a common term beyond that there are those here today who may feel uncomfortable because right now you're married to a There are many single people here today, whether single single in your retirement years or single in the middle of your working years, single as a young adult or a student, and especially if you identify with one of those groups, maybe you feel 
like in the Southwest Airlines commercial, do you want to get away? Might be an insult for some people today hearing this passage of Scripture read and they're like, I just like to get away from it. Maybe you worry that I will say something that offends them or hurts them or hurts my friends. Maybe worse for you, maybe you worry that you might just ignore the situation and just leave and leave the younger to run the mess. Maybe you worry that you'll leave today feeling further from Jesus than when you arrived. And of course, there are a hundred different kinds of situations that might qualify as unhealthy. Singleness, divorce, losing your marriage. There's like ten different situations that might come from that. We can't specifically address everybody's situation in detail. But in part, that's why Jesus not only gives us sermons, he gives us his body so that brothers and sisters can walk with us through the hard stuff. Shepherds, pastors, elders, we would be glad to sit down and explore how God still relates to your life and you and your life. But here's what I want to say beyond that. I don't believe it's an accident that you're here today. and he intends to speak with us and he intends to draw us deeper into his kingdom and our role to go live in the world with him. What does Jesus have to say to us? Our passage today is structured in kind of three interactions. There are two questions from the Pharisees and then one issue raised by the disciples. And in each case, maybe it's helpful to agree in advance, Jesus answers the question in surprising ways in each of these situations. And in each case, the main thing is not so much what the, what the people asked or the issue that was raised. The main thing is how Jesus answers. And so we'll look at each interaction in turn and we'll pay attention especially to one principle that we can draw from each of these interactions. We begin with the Pharisees' first question, which is stated in verse 3. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? The context of their question is worth noticing. In verse 1, we read that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. Now, if we're just picking up one random verse, that might not sound surprising. But if we are reading with attention from the beginning of Matthew's gospel up to this point, this is actually a surprising thing because from about Matthew chapter 4 until this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been traveling around the Sea of Galilee in the north. 
but now we've reached a pivot point in the book of Matthew, and Jesus is turning from traveling around the Sea of Galilee, and he's beginning a journey to Jerusalem. Maybe the Pharisees in the story don't fully understand why, but as we read Matthew chapter 19, surely we are meant to understand that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem for a purpose, on a mission to give his life as a ransom for many. And as he travels to Jerusalem to give his life as a ransom for many, what is he doing? According to verse 2, he's healing many people. Which serves to create a bit of a contrast as these wise, respected religious leaders called Pharisees show up and interrupt Jesus on his way to give his life as a ransom for many. They want to interrupt Jesus in the process of healing many. Uh, Excuse me, sir, we have a question about Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. There's meant to be a bit of a contrast here between the love of Jesus and how petty some of the world's most religious people are. Jesus stops to answer their question, but we might say only sort of. He takes their, this conversation in an unexpected and surprising direction. Here on this first question of what qualifies as grounds for divorce, Jesus doesn't talk about divorce at all. He talks about marriage and God's original design for marriage. Verse 4, Jesus takes the conversation all the way back to the first page of the Bible. Takes the conversation back to Genesis chapter 1, which describes how God created humanity, all of us, in his image. And how from the beginning, God created humanity on purpose as male and female. Have you not read, Jesus says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And this was very good in God's design. You see, according to Jesus, maleness and femaleness is not an accident of who we are. It's a part of God's good design. And according to our Lord Jesus, maleness and femaleness in marriage is not just a cultural construct. According to Jesus and according to the book of Genesis, it's part of God's design for how he intends for marriage to work. And in verse 5, Jesus moves from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2. Now, don't worry. This isn't going to take us every single chapter in the Bible before we're done. But Jesus moves from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, and that marriage of the first man and the first woman, as it's described, the marriage of Adam and Eve. You see, marriage is not an accidental arrangement that just happens to emerge in cultural context. 
Let this sink in. On the day that God created humanity, God created marriage. Marriage is God's design. Part of God's good creation. Part of God's good intention. Part of God's good design for us. And since marriage is God's design, that means that God is best positioned to explain to us how it was supposed to work. So how is marriage supposed to work? Looking again at Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, where Jesus quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and then adds his own commentary. By the way, notice as I read these words again, notice how often the idea of union or unitedness shows up in these two verses. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, chapter 19, 5, quoting Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. How did God design marriage? Marriage is designed by God to be a union. Jesus draws attention to this key idea four or five or maybe six times in just a couple of verses. One man, one woman, both of whom fully share in the dignity of being image bearers of God, but these two simply a traditional value of Western civilization. This is God's design, according to the scriptures, deeply embedded in who we are as people. And at its core is this idea, a union, two lives becoming one. Till death do us part is the language that a bride and a groom promise to one another on their wedding day. Here's the first principle that I think we need to catch from Jesus' teaching here. Is that we need to embrace God's design for marriage as a union. It's not just a partnership that's accidental to what we're doing in life. But a two people no longer living as two becoming together. We need to embrace God's design for marriage as a union. And here I want to speak especially for a minute to those who are married. Single brothers and sisters, uh, I have something to say to you before we allow this. But let me speak especially to those who are married to one another. Do you see the dignity of God's given marriage? pray for couples who are doing premarital counseling and when we have conversations in the course of premarital counseling if you've done that with me you know that at some point along the way one of my favorite things to talk about is this idea of never losing the wow of marriage that's not a hebrew word that's just english wow (laughs) 
But the reason I say that is because when God introduces Adam to Eve, when God introduces the first husband to the first wife, he breaks out in the first recorded instance of poetry in human history. Read that last line, that line in flesh of my flesh, modern translation. Wow! Out of all this world, wow! Couples are doing premarital counseling, they feel a lot of that wow. But one of the challenges in marriage is keeping track of the wows of God's creation. Keeping track of the wow of God's good design in uniting together this man and this woman. I wonder how many of us have moved from saying wow saying wow or saying less than wow or saying I'm not worth or saying I'm kind of distracted or saying I've got my eyes on something else or saying something else matters more to me than this primary relationship that God has given me in my life. Married couples, I wonder if some of us need to be drawn by what God has joined together in your marriage. Let's leave it to God and let God maybe that involves maybe recognizing that wow needs to require expressing that sense of wonder and gratefulness before God. Maybe for some of us, one of the healthiest things that we can do for our marriages, whether you've been married for two months or 20 years or 50 years or more, for some of us, one of the healthiest things that we can do for our marriage is simply to express our gratefulness to God and to say, God, thank you for bringing this person into my life. Wow. Your design is And maybe part of the path of growing in the health of our marriages is not only expressing that wonder and gratefulness to God, but also to one another. When was the last time you expressed your deeper gratefulness or shame or regret or sorrow or say, yeah, 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 I value God's design for marriage, let me ask you, does God routinely hear my grateful thanks for his design for marriage? Does more importantly, does your spouse routinely hear and see and recognize your gratefulness for God's design for marriage? And of course, some marriages are far more sometimes hear someone in a really challenging marriage situation say something essentially like this, Josh, my options are either to go back to a loveless marriage or be 
there's another option of not going back to the way things were five years ago when they were terrible. What if there's another option of going forward into, going forward further into what God has designed your marriage to be? Not two independent individuals seeking their own interests, but two Get help however you can. Why? Because if the dream of a better relationship is worth fighting over, isn't it at least getting counseling over? God's good design is for marriage as a union of two people made in his image. What God has joined together, that is better. It must not be embrace God's good design for marriage as a union. That's our first principle I want to draw. But that only addresses the first question and response in this passage. The Pharisees were not originally asking Jesus about how to strengthen marriages. That wasn't what they were interested in. That wasn't what they wanted to learn about. And so they make their question more explicit. They didn't want to talk about building healthier marriages. They wanted to talk about ending marriages. So they push the issue on Jesus a second time with a second question in Matthew chapter 19, verse 7. They say to him, why then did Moses command one? to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, they're referring to the certificate of divorce that is mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. And what they're doing, in effect, is they're trying to pit the teaching of God's word in Genesis 1 and 2 against the teaching of God's word in Deuteronomy 24, 1. That doesn't work very well when we try to pit scriptures against each other, by the way. In effect, they want to pit these two scriptures against one another, but how will Jesus respond to this? First of all, he agrees with them that Moses did allow for divorce. Now, by the way, let me point out a little thing about words here in these verses. In Matthew 19, 7, it says that the Pharisees say to Jesus that Moses commanded one to give a certificate of divorce. Jesus says in verse already happening in the way that Jesus is answering this question and how much better it goes. Jesus agrees that Moses did allow 
for divorce in church and Christian believers. There's a difference between allowing and allowing not. And why does the law of Moses allow for divorce? Jesus gives a very simple answer. O you wise and upright and godly looking and respected religious leaders, do you know why Moses allows for divorces? Because of hearts like yours. Hearts that can become callous and hard toward God's original Sometimes it will save a life. But it is not the first time. It's probably not even the third time. My question is, but if you don't need a divorce, what about sexual intercourse with your spouse? But it is not the first time. that fits pretty well with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19 verse 9 and I say to you whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery there's a little bit of background that's helpful to understand here in Jesus's day there was a famous rabbi by the Jesus of Yeshua so the famous rabbi named Rabbi Harel paid attention to these issues in Deuteronomy chapter 24 about a certificate of divorce, how a husband can dismiss his wife if he finds some indecency in her. That's a key word that Harrell keyed in on, indecency. What does that mean? Rabbi Harrell and other Pharisees began to extrapolate a long list of things that might count as some indecency over which a husband might be allowed to divorce his wife. Rabbi Harel and his pharisaical friends came up with things like this. If a wife burns the food and doesn't cook very well, then a husband, of course, should be allowed to divorce her. Or if a husband finds that she's not as attractive as he hoped, and he has in mind someone more attractive, then the husband should be able to dismiss her and move on to marry somebody else. The list goes on. If this list sounds to you chauvinistic, of why Jesus answers the question the way he does. 
yes, Moses does allow for divorce, but that's not the original design. And I'm telling you, whoever divorces his wife and then goes and marries another,
second principle that we need to know that we need to recognize God's allowing and permitting miracles in our lives. Yes, Mike? See, Jesus' view surprises almost everybody. On the one hand, there are people who, like the Pharisees, still today want to say, if there's any kind of divorce allowed, can't we just make it as wide and easy and quick as possible to just pursue your own desires and get out of the marriage? And Jesus says, perhaps you are surprised by that. On the other hand, there are some other kinds of religious impulses that might lead us to be less merciful than Jesus that might lead us to be more restrictive than the teaching of God's word itself. And so where Jesus says, go on and sin no more, we as a church family need to recognize and express the mercy that we find in Jesus by going back to the marriage and repenting of our sins. Jesus mentions the example of sexual immorality. What if your spouse says to you, they are both included and unclean? We have situations where we have children and the marriage covenant that we've made is just
third, a unit might refer to a single plant being
comes back to this issue in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this issue of singleness. And while he's talking about marriage, divorce, and singleness, Paul says, I wish y'all in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, he says, I wish that y'all were like me in this. What was Paul like? Suggesting that he's single. And he's saying, church family, I wish that you all could be single like me. Some have the gift of being married, some have the gift of being single. And I think it's imperative that quite like I do, that we see some of you have this gift from God and some of you have this gift from God. And what should we do? 1 Corinthians 7, 17, and it's kind of funny, but leave the life of the divorced out of the marriage. And do what God has called me. Maybe you should be doing that. Has the Lord assigned to you marriedness right now? Then do it to the glory of God. Has the Lord assigned to you singleness? Maybe in this season of your life, to live as a single person in devotion to the Lord and his kingdom. Let's pray that we would be faithful to the Lord in this season. Let's pray that the Lord God, that we would not chapter 5, the Apostle Paul describes the love of Jesus for his wife, the church. And then Paul goes back to Genesis 2.24, the same verses that Jesus quoted from here in Matthew chapter 19. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's that Two become one, united for life kind of thing. But then Paul adds his commentary to this. He says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying to you that this profound mystery refers, this profound mystery of the two become one, it refers the New Testament reveals that to us, it invites every single one of us here today to plug our life story into a way bigger life story than we've imagined. This is true whether you're single 
whether your life has had a marriage that ended in divorce or whether you're celebrating your 50th wedding anniversary sometime soon or some mixture of the categories above, the gospel of Jesus Christ invites you into a story that is way bigger and way better than the story told by your relationship status. And yes, you were made to experience love and the fulfillment of deep relationships. Yes. But it also takes work and relationship life that will also fully deliver to you everything you hope and pray for in marriage. Listen, you were in fact made for marriage. You were made for a greater marriage. is necessary in order to bring you to himself and to make you his own forevermore. Greater love has no one than this, that he brothers and sisters who are single here today, don't forget that you are set apart from the world on your own purposes. What if for the rest of your life you were devoted to Jesus but you never got a spouse? his own single-mindedly devoted to his church together, your devotion and commitment, not to your own selfish desires, but to sharing life together. talk to the pastor, talk to the pastor. If you need to get square, get square. If you need to cry out to the Lord, then cry out to the Lord. Do what you can. Do what you can. But this life is short. 
ourselves with false worship, false fixation on this devotion. And even when it comes to our relationships with one another, Jesus has said that even a lustful glance qualifies as a great sin. single one of us comes before you right now as people in need of Christ. And we're also people who are confident in our faith and in its beauty. Father, we are sinners and we're sinned against. We are misunderstood and we misunderstand ourselves. Sometimes we wrongly judge and sometimes we are wrongly struggle to love others well, and we struggle because others often don't love us well. 